Mars with Matt and Hillary, and we're back. We're back! Yay! <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm Matt. And I'm Hillary. I think there's some weird echo on my... I, I mean, I can hear myself talk after I just spoke right now. Hmm. So I don't know if that's showing up on the recording, but it's just more of me for all the listener audience. <laughs> <laughs> our listener audience... <laughs> You can tell we haven't done this in a long time. Oh, God. We we meant to do it sooner, but, um, you know, you guys can understand why we haven't started this uh, exactly on time. There's things going on in the world. Yeah. The world is changing. (laughs) History is happening. Uh, It turns out history never stopped. um, Mm -hmm. And it's happening now. And it's happening very rapidly. And uh, which is a great um makes this great moment to read this book that we're about to start reading uh written by kim stanley robinson this is the kim stanley robinson uh, read-along podcast correct uh, the best one in the world and <laughs> do you think it's the only kim stanley robinson read-along podcast well i know that it's the best one in the world so well, it's definitely i mean obviously it's <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure it might be. I don't know if there's no room in the market for more than one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I you know, I I'm not sure that we have any evidence that we're like dominating a market. But in- <laughs> I mean, I have pretty solid evidence that the market is being dominated by us, and I, I'm willing to share that information with you. But you have to invest first. Uh, and I guarantee a huge return on your investment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Hillary, what's the book we're going to start reading now? So, uh, we are going to be talking about The Years of Rice and Salt, um, which was published in 2002. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this is a lot of people's favorite novel by Stan. Uh-huh. Um, and it is definitely like... Uh, it's definitely in my top five mm-hmm. to seven list. <laughs> <laughs> no. I have only read it once. I've only read it once before, um, yeah. p- uh, quite a chunk ago. So I've just started rereading it for us to record this. And mm-hmm. um, it is totally living up to my memories of what's like wonderful and crazy about it. I mean, I think that we. Partly we wanted to do it because it is an alternate history, although I think that that's, we can talk about whether that's like the best way to describe it or not, but at least to some extent, it's an alternate history um, about what happens in the wake of the Black Plague in this instance with the sort of proposition that the Black Plague kills um, uh, almost all uh, European people. Um Uh, But it's much more than that. I mean, and so, you know, I think we, you know, in our quarantine brains, we're like, uh, oh, we should talk about plague. Um, 
And now, like, because we have both plague and revolution happening, actually, it turns out that this book is still, I think, really good to talk about. Yeah, very, very hyper relevant to talk about. I mean, definitely, <clears throat> when I posted on the Facebook, on the Kim Stanley Robinson Facebook page, um, that this was coming soon, it got a huge amount of likes, uh, like over, a, over 100 people. I don't even know, I don't know how many people are in that group on Facebook, but over 100 people liked it. Um, I posted a screen grab of a page that we won't get yeah. to for several weeks that uh, makes me cry. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, even me, black, coal-hearted uh, <laughs> Matt, uh, cried. Wh little wizened heart Matt Housky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I even cried at this. So, uh, And it's definitely like in terms of the people who yeah responded to that post, they were like, this is my favorite. Kim Stanley Robinson novel this is my favorite novel of all time. I was completely blown away by this. I just finished reading it for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, so I'll be rereading re it uh, now th through this. And uh, it was just, it was what, it's one of these books too, where I didn't want it to end. So I put off reading like the last section for like much longer than I had to, because once I read the last section, I would be done with the book and yeah, that would make yeah. me sad. Um, and I felt like, too, as I was reading it through the first time, I almost wished that we were we were reading it, we were we were recording the podcast as I was reading it for the first time because I had just so much energy and like excitement about what I was encountering. Um, but I'm sure I'll be able to resurrect some of that, uh, uh, some fraction of it, um, uh, while we uh, as we go through it. This time we're reading. As, as is our uh, practice, we, we read this these books one book at a time or one chunk or section at a time. And um, looking through, I think I think there is one super long, like book nine is like much longer than most of the other sections, but I think that's probably what we'll keep doing is like one section, yeah. one book at a time, right? So for a total of 10 episodes or so. So this yeah. should bring you right up into the... Uh, when so uh right in the middle of august when you know things are really starting to get crazy in this country so that'll be fun uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> and i do i so i was gonna say a couple of things i i do think it's nice that you read the whole thing before we started recording because also yeah it, you know this is a book i mean if for people who maybe haven't read it before like um I'm guessing most people who are listening to this will have read it all the way mm -hmm. through already. But if you but if you haven't, um, you might want to let yourself do that before you listen to us talk about it because I just I think it is a very pleasurable mm -hmm. book and it has, um, uh, yeah, it's a it, it I, I think its pleasures are worth sort of experiencing experiencing uh, experiencing in a somewhat less in like a less mediated form yeah, like I, for it sure. is one that like you definitely like want to kind of read all the way through um and the other thing i wanted to say is i think that um there is something uh i think that there is something in this book that is also um it, it both open it both opens up in in the way that you'd expect from from one of Stan's novels, um, interesting and very intense questions about history and about, you know, emancipation and about human life and what a good human life would be. Um, but it also has like, in some ways it has, I almost want to say like a comforting quality to mm. it too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in that it's in that it has this just crazy it, it, a crazy perspective like not only this like very long sweep of history um uh, but the sense of like a real kind of like pulled back narration, uh, sort of watching things unfold. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's also a book that thinks a lot about like um, stuff that we could describe as spiritual in ways that I think are like incredibly interesting and in no way say like you should, you know, take this spiritual comfort and not worry about what's happening in the world. Um like, you know, whatever, it's still like a materialist novel, but there, mm-hmm. but there is something in it that I think, um, it's, ple- it's pleasures are partly in that there are things about it that, that give you a kind of comfort, a warm, a warm pleasure. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that might make it a nice thing for people to read alongside being committed to, you know, caring about and participating in what's happening in our actual world now you know yeah yeah and i think um yeah i think we'll have plenty of opportunities to talk a little bit more about that too and also how that warmth that you experience reading this is tempered by a lot of uh just harsh realities of yeah of life and um and human living and the different forms it has taken over the many you know centuries that this book uh that this book covers um one of the things so the you know, as you begin reading the book, as you just open the pages, uh, you are immediately confronted with uh, a, I mean, um, uh, a novum, I suppose it might be, <laughs> uh, in the chronology page, where suddenly um, everything you have ever been taught or ever known about what year it is, is just thrown out the window. Like, just that very basic thing of like, you know that calendar that's hanging on your wall? tear it down, throw it away. You're not going to be needing it. <laughs> you're, you're going to be in a completely different, um, uncharted, like, or a different temporality, uh, in a certain se- like, a, in terms of calendar years. And then the next page is a map that, uh, for the, the front, the first page of book one, book one, awake to emptiness. Of course, we're reading the mass market. I assume you're reading the mass market paperback, Hillary. That's what I've got. Um, but yeah. I don't think it's any different in anybody else's edition, probably. No, I also have a, um, I have a hardcover of it, of the, because oh. Stan sent it to me. Um, oh, look at you! Yeah, it's, spe- it's very special. It is actually really special. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, um, and it's the same. It's yeah. the, it's the same layout. I mean, I feel like SF publishing you yes. tends toward like the cheapness of like yes. do those layouts and then just keep them the same, like yes. edition after edition after yes, edition. Yes, for sure, for sure. And the map that we're given, of course, is uh, a different part of the world than where what what we're normally especially in america used to seeing like popularly published <laughs> with a level of detail and uh a level of ornamentation let's say and place names that um we speaking for myself uh are am rather unfamiliar with let's put it that way uh i have thought that one of the things that it's funny that like um it y- uh you know we we spent however long uh uh on on mars talking mm-hmm. about the mars trilogy and mm-hmm. then the martians and you know i feel like we we definitely like did some research along the way mm-hmm. but like it's a lot less intimidating to talk about things happening on mars than to talk about things happening in a highly specified alternate history um of um specific 
uh, cultural forms of life on earth, you know, like I, as I was thinking about recording today, partly because my, just feel like something about like quarantine and all the shit in the world. Like I can't remember anything anymore. Like my brain is, my brain has maybe always been pretty civ-like, but it's really like maximally full of holes at this point. Yeah. I mean, I hope it's a max, I hope it's a maximum. If it goes beyond (laughs) this, I guess I, I, I won't care anymore, but but you know, like as I was like going back going back through this section today, I was thinking like, oh God, you know, like I remember so little of the like couple of histories of Buddhism I read like thirty years ago, and I remember so little about world history, and mm-hmm. can I even tell when events here are deviating from events in his in you know uh, proper history, the history mm-hmm. of our world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is on the Kim Stanley Robinson info yes. uh, website, there is a timeline that somebody did. Um, I, think which it's, is, I think it's Kimon, the, the, the proprietor. Did Kimon, the make, did Kimon make it? I think so. I mean, I, I assume that this is mostly Kimon's, uh, this, this is mostly Kimon's work. I mean, yeah, there's I a timeline. The ti- there's an enormous... Uh, uh, let's just say an enormous wealth of information and analysis on years of rice and salt on that website. So, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you might not want to look at it now, but at some point the time, the timeline is at least useful because part of the complication, if, if you're somebody who feels like you want to know what the date is Mm -hmm. and you want to know what the date is in terms of like common era or, you know, where we are in the common era, i.e. on the like calendar that we use, um, like if you need that to feel oriented, part of what's complicated here is that like we're uh, the dates are shifted between um, a couple of lunar calendars and a couple of solar <laughs> calendars, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of which think of year zero as being something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that time that timeline is potentially like a nice resource, but I do feel like you know it's probably better to just like read the book and see what you remember from. Um, uh, you know, whatever history classes you took in high school or college. And honestly, unless you took some like really uh, good history class, I mean, my high school history class, I'm pretty sure was called Western Civ. Right. And it didn't, I mean, and then American history, the right. only things that mattered. And they did not touch, like, I mean, I don't, I'm sure that like they mentioned that there are other parts of the globe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, so I, I think it's good to just like read it and enjoy it and then think back about the way in which this is like, you know, working working on um, and through like references to and engagements with actual historical figures and historical phenomena in the mode of the historical novel, much as it's also like doing a transformative story and also, you know, playing with like, um, uh, I don't know what we would take to be the real or the historical mm-hmm. altogether. Yeah, I mean, I think I kept, as I was reading, I kept looking back at the chronology. I didn't do too much like looking on the internet for like, is this a real person? Like what's going on? But yeah, like you, I mine was, my history class was European history in the 10th grade and American history in the 11th grade. I think there was world history in, in as a freshman or whatever. Um, but yeah, like everything else, I, I like India was only there as part of like br- the British Empire. Uh, Mm -hmm. China was only there as like spheres of influence or whatever in the 19th century or something. Um, So yeah, it's just like, uh, 
in America, that's that's what's important. And so part of my, I was completely blown away by this book. I think I probably mentioned that already. Uh, and part of that is just like being opened up to a whole, you know, centuries, millennia of history that um, I just had not been exposed to. Um, but also with the kind of, it's like so intimidating, like like you were saying with the Mars books. <laughs> On one hand, it's like, oh yeah, we could just we're just going to go to Mars, and there's this geography there, and we can kind of extrapolate out and uh, think about what what would go where, sort of, and that's pretty fun and liberating. And yeah, there's some science involved, but you know, just be inventive. And here, it feels like, in a certain way, a much more intimidating task because you are beholden to just certain facts of places. <laughs> That you can't just invent. Um, but he does, I mean, I, I don't know, as as it goes on, um, there's plenty of invention here, obviously. Um, and uh, uh, as a kind of, we'll also talk, I'm sure, about like the boundary between science fiction, the historical novel, and like later, especially in this chapter, you mentioned before we started recording a uh, fantasy. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's 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 just this is a crazy remarkable book that we should just start uh, talking about probably right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> also, <laughs> for sure. Also, I never read any histories of Buddhism, so literally everything I know about Buddhism I just learned in this book. So forgive me for being, <laughs> forgive me for my ignorance. Well, at some point, I mean, I think that the the sort of there is a lot of like kind of Buddhist cosmology stuff that runs right. throughout the novel. Um, and it, which I think is, I think is drawn from the sort of um, Tibetan streams of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. um, but there are more than one of those, right? There's more than one of that kind of um, lineage. Um, and I, I think that like in most, this is a good, <laughs> this is a good book for, you know, like all, sci all science fiction readers, um, know how to do and I think take pleasure in doing the thing that we often describe as figuring it out from the context mm -hmm. because you know when people talk about like um uh either in science fiction or or in fantasy but we'll just stick with science fiction here when people talk about like oh you know it, it proceeds by world building which I don't think right. is like a very good description of science fiction but in right. any case like what they mean whether they mean this intentionally or not is that like the reader enters the world and then figures out the rules of the world as the reader goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, you know, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson is great at giving you what you need to do that, to figure out those rules, to begin to understand how this world is, uh, might resemble yours in certain ways, but it's also radically different in some other kinds of ways. And I think that all of the stuff, the historical stuff, um, you know, that's sort of with quote marks around it, but the historical material, like the, um, the Buddhist material, all of that, I think you really can kind of like just learn about as you go along. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. that seems to me to be like a perfectly good way to do it rather than having to test, you know, look it up in right. order to be sure that, you know, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. this really means. Right. Yeah. The novel. Well, so, the novel is so fascinating. I mean, it's like very self-contained, but then um, there are there is there are all these ways you could go off and research various things about it. Like that's why I would say to read it through for it's just it's it's autonomous pleasures. I would I suppose, and then if you're going to read it again, read it along with um, the Kim Stanley Robinson dot info like uh, guide because 
it has lots of information there that you don't necessarily need you don't need to appreciate and and love the novel but uh if you dive into it like for instance the kind of key about all the 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 characters and what they mean um it'll i'm sure which is what i'm going to do this time i didn't refer to that as my first read through and now that i'm looking at it uh, I'm kind of blown away and, and really curious and like excited to re- read it again and with, with all that uh, knowledge in mind, the kind of an- the sort of like the supplement, the comp- the commentary right. that uh, Kimura right. has produced or whoever has produced on the info side. So, I mean, I, and I would also say like, even when like you're looking at a timeline that tells you like this, this figure is a real historical figure, right. you know, right. the emperor, 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 uh, young Lou or whatever mm-hmm. is a real historical figure. Even when you're looking at that, like why or how that matters is a matter of interpretation, yes. you know, just as like what the characters represent is a matter of interpretation um, and like the ways in which like the, the historical, the drawing on what we take to be historical, the historical record versus the deviation from the historical record mm-hmm. or the creating of a different world, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like those are also require like readerly interpretation. Right. So, you know, it doesn't have to be about like, there's like an authoritative account of like what the content of the novel really is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, well, history is also a matter of interpretation, right? I mean, like no one really knows it's all written. Like it's all, we have to invent it as well. I mean, there's a record that we can point to and rely on that's somewhat objective, but at the same time, history is also storytelling. So, um, Okay. Section one. So yeah, one. So, <laughs> so what do you want to talk about? Another journey west. Bold and sin find an empty land. Temer is displeased, and the chapter has a stormy end. Um, I love the way that this that the first book has this kind of address, like the the mode of address that it has to the reader mm-hmm. is. I mean, how would you characterize it? I, it's very playful. It's kind of, it's in the style of a kind of. Um, what I don't know what is it in the style <laughs> what is it in the style of well I think it's yeah I mean it's such a great um so the chapters have like these little um little headers on them mm-hmm. which gives you the summary of the chapter but in usually like a kind of playful way and then I think they all end with so as in chapter one which is on page nine we do not know which way Psin went or what happened to him, but as for Bold, you can find out in the next chapter. Yes. Yeah. So they all end with this we, this we voice telling you something, um, you know, which is a very playful, like, um, it might, I mean, it makes me think back to, like, um, you know, the kind of folktale sections in the mm-hmm. Mars books. Right. Um, or, I, I mean... And I think also because it's a it's a plural narrating voice, it might make for people who read New York 2140, mm. it might make you think of the citizen interludes in there, which are not from a single person, but from something like a position mm-hmm. in most cases. Um, but here, I think we like, you know, we have the feeling both of um, these probably like that there is some kind of onlooker to the events Mm -hmm. or onlookers plural to the events Mm. is my feeling about what the we does because they often will say like well we don't want to tell you what happened but unfortunately we're going to have to tell you what happened or we have no idea what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. you may think this but as for us so you know um so it's not clear like you know whether these are like partial or impartial observers 
And they don't, that narrative voice, which to me feels like this kind of like observer um, position, this plural observer position, doesn't really seem to be very much in effect internally in any of the chapters. They really seem to like frame them as opposed to mm -hmm. uh giving us a lens through which we read the internal events. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? About no, that? I agree with that. Like, uh, it seems like it's a, an open, like a kind of, yeah, voiceover narration, uh, to use a like film term at the beginning and at the very end of the episode. Right. And then while you're in the, in the episode, you're really with typical with bold, um, primarily throughout this first book, awake to emptiness, you <coughs> should say, um, awake to emptiness, awake to good emptiness. Name. Good name. Uh, I, I mean, his Bold's real name isn't Bold's real name like Awake to Emptiness or something like that. Like Bold is a nickname. I forget what it says that, but um, but no, we're we're typically with Bold, and um, I mean it's also part of the Heart Sutra, right? Um, mm -hmm. and we we're focalized through his experience of this of this incredible world. Bold is this uh, Mongol horse soldier who um, who is uh, in the army of Temur the Lame, and they, in their sort of um, wanderings and conquerings, they arrive on the other side of, or in the Magyar Plain, right? Or mm -hmm. they arrive in Eastern Europe, basically, what we know as Eastern Europe, and discover uh, in an amazing sort of set of passages that everybody's dead <laughs> that all of these um uh villages are empty the people are dead uh and um it's an incredibly i mean just on it's like literally the second page of the novel <laughs> mm -hmm. um or the third page of the novel where you're we're already confronted in this book about the past with uh a, a depiction of the present in a certain sense on page five, it says sin ordered them to put clothes over their faces to avoid touching anything, to stay on their horses and to keep the horses from touching anything, but the ground with the hooves. This is like, I'm going to the grocery store later, but I'm not taking a horse, you know? Um, yeah. No horses in the grocery store. No horses allowed anymore. Um, well, and they already, I mean, an important, an important feature of this beginning is also that they already know what the plague is. Right. Is, you know, it has been cropping up all over the place. It just mm -hmm. has not in, in their experience. Um, so basically like at this point, we're just with like a group of soldiers from Tamburlaine's, uh, Temur's army. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, so they know what the plague is. They know what its symptoms are. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the first time they're seeing it like, actually like devastating just wiping out entire communities mm -hmm. so something familiar that they're able to say like oh yeah this is probably plague has turned into something uh has turned out to have like a kind of like power that they didn't expect right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to the point where farther down the page um gone 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 beyond gone altogether beyond Nothing moved, and it occurred to Bold that the pass in the mountains they had ridden through had perhaps been the wrong one, the one to another west, to that other west, which is the land of the dead. For an instant, he remembered something, a brief glimpse of another life, a town much smaller than this one, a village wiped out by some great rush over their heads, sending them all to the bardo together. Hours in a room, waiting for death, this was why he so often, he so often 
felt he recognized the people he met, their existences were a shared fate. It's like immediately setting up patterns and like the faith in the bardo and, uh, or the belief in the bardo and uh, this Buddhist um, idea of reincarnation. And uh, it's, yeah. And also the yeah. idea that we've gone too far mm. and we're in not just uncharted, like physical territory, but uncharted kind of spiritual territory. Like this is a crisis of like, something more than just the like material reality in a certain sense. Yeah. And I think that that, um, uh, so, you know, we, right. So right away here, we get a flashback to something that we kind of learn more about at the end of the chapter, actually in the Bardo, um, the idea that like, um, there's like a group of people who are born and reborn mm -hmm. together every time in one way or another in different kinds of forms. Um, but that they, it seems that they began life together. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, and the, and in the first, in the first case, um, their lives ended in something like an avalanche, right. Um, mm -hmm. a village wiped out by some great rush over their heads or a flood. Mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. an avalanche. Anyway, the, yeah. um, uh, what was I about to say? I just lost. Um, oh, so one of the things that I was thinking on this read through that is really cool about this book is that, um, so, you know, if we think that like a science fictional an alternate history is like a subgenre of science fiction, you know, in which some change, some something different happens in some known historical event, and then it produces, and then what are the effects of that, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is definitely, <clears throat> I mean, I think that definitely is the right description of the mode of the book overall. Mm -hmm. But then also within the book, um, and so we can think of that as like, um, so... Uh, it's another world, right? It's mm -hmm. our world, um, but another. Uh, it's our world, but in this different form, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then within the book, also we have, um, it's, and we see it in this first section. You know, bold in some very real ways, kind of travels from world to world. Right. You know, from Tamar's army um, in to to the slave markets. Mm -hmm. um, to China, mm -hmm. right? Um, finally, to the Bardo. Uh, um, and also, the way in which Bold accounts for the world is such that one could take a wrong turning and literally walk into the land of the dead, mm -hmm. too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have this, like, there's this really, like, interesting, I think, layering of... Um, uh, of of sort of like what we might think of as like world structures or like spatial relations in the novel, you know, like um, like the world of Tamar's empire is mm -hmm. not really the same world as the world of um, the Chinese empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. one can move between that one can move between them, but e equally, and we think of those as being real historical worlds. Although in this case, of course, they're not exactly the real historical world. Right. But also, it seems to be equally real that one might move from um, what seem to us to be more or less ordinary or like realistic descriptions of a particular like landscape and historical situation into what might seem to us to not be realistic descriptions as when, um, 
you know, Bold looks at Tamar and sees like the his nafs come out of right. come out of his mouth or whatever, right? Right. Um, right. You know, or the moving into the land of the dead. So I think it's right that it both the idea of having moved into the land of the dead is both like a kind of metaphoric way of saying like, oh, the world is changing, everyone is dead here, and also in Bold's cosmology, and I think in the novel's world building as well, there is the literal possibility of just like slipping from one life <laughs> into yes. another. You know, yeah, absolutely, and also like, which is so awesome. I mean, what, yes. what an what a like amazing like crazy way of structuring something. Well, and also like I feel like um, there's something here about the structure of feeling as well that somehow even within a single life that it's possible to enter into a completely different structure of feeling. Yeah. So that, as yeah. you were saying, like the Mongol world, the world, the Mongol world of Temur and the Chinese world of the emperor are the same world, but they're completely different worlds. And like the mode of being that bold has at various points in this chapter, in this book is radically different. So like when he is, so Temur is struck by lightning, which didn't happen in his history. <laughs> don't, don't bother looking it up. Um, he's struck by lightning and killed just as uh, he has given the instructions to his other guards and, and troops to, you know, kill Bar, kill Bold, kill Psin, uh, kill all their men, burn them because to get rid of the plague. He's, he, he's at that moment, he's struck by lightning, killed. Everybody dies except for Bold and Bold like leaves, escapes, flees. And he goes on this long, pages and pages long track journey by by foot, by horse sometimes. He's looking for food. He's going from village to village. Everybody's dead. Sometimes he finds food uh, that is like grain stored in an old village that's that's abandoned. Sometimes the whole, he... The whole jar of olive oil that he spends four days drinking. <laughs> that's so disgusting. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that part. Oh, my God. Oh. He eats like wild onions, right? Um, I love the a part, lot of wild onions. <laughs> a lot of wild onions. He, I love the part where he runs into a like a red-haired white man whose family mm -hmm. and village had all died, and they just kind of share this meal together. I think of like fish and rabbit or something. Yeah, he was cooking. Two, the man was cooking two fish. Bold had a rabbit, and they can't communicate. And um, despite the fact, I mean, so yeah, I started off by saying like there's a way in which you can inhabit two completely different structures of feeling within one life or more than more than two, but mm. multiple different structures of feeling in one life because you move to a place that's so radically different and bold. Mm -hmm. Amazingly. I mean, it's one of the amazing things about this book and this, this opening, this, the, the book is the novel as a whole. And this book in particular is the kind of, um, I don't know, wealth, I would say, uh, that is found in the past, the wealth of experience, mm -hmm and the material wealth that we'll see later in the book, but that Bold, um, on page 15, as he's trying to talk to this man, Bold tried out some uh, simple phrases himself, feeling the strangest of words in his mouth like pebbles, because he hasn't spoken in so long. I mean, talk about a different structure of feeling. You're completely isolated from anybody for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks, and you forget, you know, the power of language somehow, um, or the facility for language. The other man listened closely, his blue eyes gleaming in firelight out of the pale the dirty pale skin of his lean face, but he showed no sign of comprehension, not of Mongolian, Tibetan, Chinese, Turkic, Arabic, Chagatai, or any, uh, any other of the polyglot, polyglot greetings Bold had learned through the years crossing the steppe. So that Bold is, you know, equipped, not 
by any means uniquely equipped, but um, equip, uh, equipped in a way that uh, uh, many, 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 many people are equipped to communicate across all these languages and to sort of experience all these different ways of being, structures of feeling, these different worlds and interact with them um, in a way that's just sort of like so cool. Like, uh, yeah. And also the fact that he can't communicate with this man gives a hint as to how big the world is, right? How big our actual world is, not just the world of the book, but like the world mm. itself, the ancient world was. I mean, I think, yeah, something I think is really, uh, so first of all, this, this white dude who we meet here um, is one of very few. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. we should probably, I guess, I mean, I don't know. Let's just call them white people. I yeah. think that seems like the best way to uh, describe them since Europe is not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I also Fra think Fra one of the things that this... Maybe maybe it, they're Frangis Frangistanis? Frangistanis or something? <laughs> Are they? Well, it's Fr Frangistan, 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 F-R-A-N-G-I-S-T-A-N is what they, is the Muslim word for... Western Europe, basically, that they end oh, yeah, up using yeah. at certain points. So we could call them that, but we could just call them white people, sure. Uh, so I think that <laughs> it, I, something that I think that this book does throughout, without making a big point of it, but I, for me anyway, this is like very core to just like what this book is. Um, you know, here here is Bold. I mean, one of the things about Bold, I mean, it's partly because he's been a soldier, um, and he's been in a, you know, been a soldier in, you know, this famously like extremely mm -hmm. diverse mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. army. Um, and it's partly because, you know, Bold, uh, as the big thing we kind of learn about him in this section is he's also a survivor. Yes. Um, you know, he's really good at staying alive. Um, and he takes that actually to be like, uh, you know, just sort of... Um, uh, you know, he thinks about how, well, he'll, he'll, you know, find himself in the bardo when he dies. And that's kind of a comfort, but also he, despite the fact that he takes comfort in that, and that structures his entire worldview very intently and that he seems to have memory of past lives, right. Which, right. uh, doesn't seem to be the case for uh, most people we meet in this section, but bold does seem to remember them. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, but despite all that, like he's actually, I mean, and being like a tough guy and like a guy who knows about horses and like where you find wild onions and is willing to live off just drinking a bunch of olive oil. Mm -hmm. um, he also has a quality of, um, you know, being like worldly in like the best sense of that word in that like he knows all of these languages mm -hmm. and he knows about all kinds of people and all kinds of cultures. And, you know, this white guy who he meets like doesn't speak any of those languages. And it is a little bit about like, yeah, the world is big and there's a separation between them. But also I think throughout the book, like we see um, that the cultures that we meet here, um, the cultures that, you know, um, actually like in, in, in fact, like produced so much of what we understand to yes. be modernity, even though the yes. story of, you know, our modernity beginning in Greece and, and arising through Europe doesn't, acknowledge that mm -hmm. the book pretty consistently um you know in insists that we actually understand that like so much of what we take to be um what it is to be um 
uh, uh, let's just say enlightened, mm -hmm. <laughs> as in fact comes from uh, not at all from Europe, right? Yes. I mean, and and that kind of um, that could have happened in very the book could do that in very simple ways, and it's actually not a simple book at all. It's an extremely complicated book, but I mm -hmm. do think throughout it just carries this insistence of like. Um, uh, you know, the, the extreme limitation that your Eurocentrism puts on human beings. Mm -hmm. And I do kind of think there's yeah. a way in which in this, in this moment, like, I mean, and also like the white guy, like eats more of the food than Bull, <laughs> Bull right. does. But I do think in this moment, and they do communicate to each other, um, which I have another thought yes. about that I wanted yes. to say, but like, um, you know, through like signs, actually very complicated signs. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not that there's like this radical, you know, this total separation between them. They are able to communicate, but like, um, you know, uh, it's not on the side of the white people where, um, you know, cultural possibility comes mm -hmm. from. And I and I do kind of think that is something that just like really runs throughout this mm -hmm. book. We're, we, we, we miss nothing um, in the, um, you know... Absence of white people. Pages in the absence of white people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I don't. But the the other thing that I was going to say is like, oh, go ahead. Oh no. Well, I mean, you I'll just add. No, I'll just add to that. Is on uh, he, you know, that in the absence of white people and in and in viewing, kind of Europe, the Magyar Plain, whatever these these villages through Bold's eyes, we get a completely different perspective, as you were saying on. Um, Eurocentric on Europe, um, outside of the Eurocentrism that we view the world through, and that are definitely our high school educations um, promote to us. Like just immediately, he came. He came to a village that looked untouched, skirted its edge. In an empty stable, he found an unstr unstrung bow and a quiver of arrows, all very primitive and poorly made. Something moved in the past. So then he is. He's got this bow and arrow, and he's always complaining. He's to himself, possibly it had been concocted by a child. He couldn't believe anyone older would make such a thing. It was a single bend of wood, probably ash, partly carved, but still misshapen. No arrow rests, no knocking point. It's pole like that of a prayer flag line. His old bow had been a laminate of horn, maple wood, and tendon glue covered by blue leather with a sweet pole and release and enough power to pierce body armor from over a lee away, which is like 500 kilometers. No, 500 meters, sorry. 500 kilometers anyway uh gone now gone altogether so yeah like he's complaining about how primitive this weaponry is right um and so with that perspective um yeah it's just an, such an interesting perspective to have that kind of like uneven development which is so mm -hmm. typically framed as the west develops faster than the east but as we'll see as the book goes on there are just um technological marvels in the quote unquote East um, that are, uh, that just blow the quote unquote West completely out of the water, right? Um, uh, yeah. Have, have you read that? Am I still breaking up? No, you're fine. Have you read that uh, essay? And there's also a book by Depeche Chakrabarty called Provincializing Europe. I, you know what? I think I did read that several years ago and I probably read it because at a certain, well, I was, yeah, I probably did read it. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, that, uh, that essay, I think 
is, which is a sort of like, you know, he's kind of making an argument about how like, um, uh, uh, that's like a, a project for historians, right? Mm-hmm. A project in historiography is to make Europe the provincial rather than the center. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like a what we could think of as like, it's also a political argument too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, about knowledge and what we take what we take to be just the way things are yeah. and like what happens when we put pressure on that. And I do, I think that there's some of, I think this book, whether um, uh, that's how it would describe itself or not, I think the book does some of that work, right, of, sure. of provincializing Europe. Also, you know, like, given that most Europeans end up, uh, you know, dead, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not just provincialized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to say, I just had this thought today, which I, so I feel like in addition to the way in which we have this kind of, um, these complicated spatial relations in which, like, um, we not only have different kinds of places and different cultural places, and we have the like places that are like um, more or less empty, and the places that are extremely full, right? And that seems to be a distinction that matters. And then we also have these places that we could think of as spiritual or metaphysical. Um, but in this novel, all of those places are also literal. They're also like material. They're places whether uh, that you that you actually go to, as in you might wander into the land of the dead right. where the bardo seems to in one way or another be a place a real right. place um and i was thinking about how in this first chapter we also get this like interesting kind of um there's a sort of um this isn't quite right but I, i'll just say it this way maybe it makes sense like the first section also does a kind of um recapitulates sort of like in miniature uh, something of a stadial theory of history. I mean, if we think, not not quite, but like, so we begin we begin with death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in in something like emptiness, and, and then we do have this brief moment in which we're in empire, mm-hmm. um, but then from there, bold um, goes into the mode of you know something like bare survival, mm-hmm. and he's by himself, right? It seems to be like. Uh, we're in the mode of just like individual life struggling for survival. Yeah. The encounter, um, the encounter at the fire um, with the red-haired guy, um, has a kind of like you know plays off like the Rousseauian version of the primitive encounter, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like Rousseau's like, oh, when t- you know to. You know, when two uh, two primitive people would see each other, they would be frightened of each. They wouldn't be able to understand each other. They right. would be frightened of each other, like um, you know, which is part of Rousseau's version of uh, of not imagining that like uh, people are in the first place related to each other, but that people are in the first place not related to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we have that sort of like the the encounter, and then from there, like after a bunch more stuff, like he's sold into slavery. Right, we're in the we have the slave market, and then we return when by the time he gets to is, is um, uh, brought to China, we return to empire again. You know, so we have this sort of like um, there's this like there's this sort of like miniaturized grand historical like uh, story of human human quote unquote. Pro- progress that structures mm-hmm. the chapter too, which I think is just this really interesting kind of move, you know, like, um, to go, 
to go from like um, him all by himself, like in this mode of survival, into him in enslavement, right? Into him in enslavement in the empire, and then finally to like you know open <laughs> open rebellion, at yeah. least as fomented by one person against empire. It's uh, and then the, and then the Bardo, right? Yeah. It's interesting too that the the moment when he is like in slavery, he's also working in a restaurant. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's his <laughs> mode of enslavement is not like heavy toil. He's not picking cotton. He's not, uh, he's not a, a textile worker in a sweatshop. He's working in a restaurant and he really likes his job a lot <laughs> yeah. because he gets to eat so much great food all day right. long and like wear nice clothes and uh and yeah. and go out go out and wander around this like yeah. crazy crazy city with yeah. like the woman who runs the restaurant and uh yeah just that the the china section you know as like the characters um q and and bold are constantly like noting for us china is just like packed there are yes. like so many people and these yeah. cities are huge um and like the wild, like you know, overabundance of yes. stuff yeah. is incredible. We um, so did you? Okay, did you say what you wanted to say about the yeah. ability of Bold to communicate with the with, <clears throat> with the red haired guy? Okay, I did. Okay, good. Um, so yes, so let's move into I guess so yeah he's sold into slavery actually he barely uh, gets the privilege of being sold into slavery because when he arrives uh, when he finds some some new folks who he basically begs to enslave him so they'll save his life um, they some of them are like just kill him let's go and and another guy's like ah he's skinny enough he's not gonna take up enough as much space on the boat um, and they figure that they can save him uh or, or or not save him but but sell him rather sell um, him uh and we get a tour of one huge port city after another from alexandria to um oh where else mombasa mm-hmm. um uh, and finally um what is it uh nanjing mm-hmm. um hangzhou um what was I going to say? Oh, I wanted to ask one real quick question as we're flipping through the state of these poems, these little moments yeah. of verse. What did you make of those? I mean, I think they're kind of, they almost feel like interstitial or something, but they typically happen like, <clears throat> like no, t- no time really pass. No time in the novel really passes when the poems are happening or they, or they describe a kind of, do they describe a kind of passage of time? I mean, I think that they're... Um, they're descriptive. Yeah, they're descriptive. I mean, most of them are like natural descriptive. I I think... So um, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I think that they kind of... They are Bold's poems. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which... Because they could just be like a narrative insertion or like, um, like a kind of temporally different because they you know they do that very like succinct natural uh capturing of the scene right Mm -hmm. um but then the one on um uh 
the one on page 28. Um, mm -hmm. So I think this is where they're, he's in the, um, uh, the uh, chained up group of slaves with their master, Zake, um, mm -hmm. heading across the Sinai um, to the Red Sea. And uh, so at the top of 28, uh, one night he looked up and saw the archer looking down on him, and he remembered his nights alone in the empty land. The ghost of Timur, the last survivor of the fisher folk, the empty stone temples open to the sky, the days of hunger, the little mare, that ridiculous bow and arrow, a red bird and a blue bird sitting side by side. They came to the Red Sea. And at that moment, I thought like, oh, in some ways, maybe this is like the kind of, you know, we're in, this is how Bold himself tracks mm um where he's been is through these kinds of moments of um uh, of poetic capturing of the scene because this is just like you know he saw the ghost of timur he encountered that f fisherman mm -hmm. that amazing scene where he comes across the empty stone temples which is so uncanny mm -hmm. and crazy um etc etc and the red bird and the blue bird sitting side by side so I, so i don't know i mean i think they could work in a lot of different ways but my feeling is that this they're a little bit of like bold's conscious capturing of his journey as he goes along mm -hmm. yeah well the next page on on page 30 it's a catalog of the all the things that he's seeing in the marketplace and yeah the the kind of um yeah the overabundance the plenty at all these markets um again, is a way of, as you say, sort of provincializing Europe or at the very least sort of um, recalibrating our understanding of what modernity is, uh, what, it con what constitutes it, right? Um, I just think, of, I'm just thinking about the supermarket and how we tend to think of it <laughs> as having like all these things and it's also demonized for, look at all the waste and like, oh, you know, a third, you know, two thirds of all food is just thrown out. And, you know, all of this is, you know, hardly anybody buys these bananas. They all get thrown out eventually or whatever. And um, that that's not necessarily a modern phenomenon, right? Like, mm -hmm. that, or, or if it is, modernity stretches much, much farther into the past <laughs> than we like to think it does. You know, supermarkets were not just invented in 1955 in a certain way, you know, like there's a mode right, of right. this kind of selling that's always, that's always sort of been there. Um, the consumption of the world by humans is not a modern invention, um, which, which gives us a lot to think about as we, as we go forward and as we like try to, you know, destroy capitalism. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and so at the, the end of that chapter, which is chapter three, um, Bold meets uh, um, the person who mm -hmm. uh, will be his companion and and we learn at the end of the chapter has been his companion before. Mm -hmm. um, bottom of 31. Uh, so he's he has been sold at this point to the Chinese and they're being put on this like cr uh, crazy giant um, uh, Chinese ship. Um, uh, Bold climbed a ladder 41 steps up the wooden wall of the ship's side, following a skinny black slave boy. They were taken together below the main deck to a room near the rear of the ship. What happened in there, we don't want to tell you, but the story won't make sense unless we do. Mm -hmm. So on to the next chapter. These things happened. Yeah. Uh, truly horrifying scene. I don't like um, to think about it. A scene of castration in, in great detail. Yeah. Uh, great detail. 
little little Q, the skinny the skinny boy who um, Bold follows onto the ship, uh, gets castrated. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I and, don't like. I don't like to think about near, it. Uh, <laughs> but there are like you know, it is a mode of being that uh, was quite common. It still, probably is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he uh, and then he nearly dies, um, mm-hmm. and Bold tends him there as best he can. Right. And, and indeed, perhaps he actually dies. Mm-hmm. Bold does think at one point. But he comes back to life in any case. Mm -hmm. And he thinks, yeah, like Bold says, like maybe he died and he went to the Bardo and and just um, came back as someone else. Right. Um, He says, what is your name now? And the boy goes, my name now is the same name. It's always been Q. Uh, Welcome to this life, Q. Right. Um, So he he saves him and they're bound together um, from that point on. And they, so we have, I mean, something that is delightful about this book is it is, it has these like very episodic kind of um, like adventurous passages that Mm -hmm. like all hang together and are part of a larger story and are also part of all of these larger kinds of connections, but have a certain, um, have a kind of like uh, episodic containment unto themselves because the next section is just this like amazing, like, sea journey um with mm-hmm. a lot of supernatural shit happening mm-hmm. um or maybe supernatural shit happening um an amazing storm at sea mm-hmm. um an amazing an amazing rescue um mm-hmm. uh by a goddess figure mm-hmm. um who will also return later or who will who will also return later right Tianfei. um the black boy said nothing. He opened up at the forward mass, however, which they could see through the hatchway grating and Bold looked up and saw red filaments of light dancing between the masts. Balls of light like Chinese lanterns without the paper or the fire glowing at the top of the mast and over it illuminating the flying rain and even the black bottoms of the clouds that were peeling by overhead. The otherworldly beauty of the sight tempered the terror of it. Bold and everyone else moved outside the realm of terror it was too strange and awesome a sight to worry any longer about life or death. All the men were crying out, praying at the top of their lungs. Tian Fei coalesced out of the dancing red light, her figure gleaming brightly over them, and the wind diminished all at once. The seas calmed around them. Tian Fei dis- dissipated, ran redly out the rigging and back into the air. Now their grateful voices could be heard above the wind. White caps still toppled and rolled, but all at a distance from them halfway to the horizon. It's so great. And then yeah. the chapter the chapter ends. How the rest of the voyage home went is not really material. Nothing of note happened. They made it back safely. And what happened after that, you can find by reading the next chapter. I love those. <laughs> it's so charming and, and it's great. fun. It's great. And I love that it's also like, um, you know, the it just plays with like the cliffhanger form, except that a lot of the time it's like, well, there's no cliffhanger here, but you should just move mm-hmm. on. <laughs> Well, the next part in chapter five is, you know, the, when they rejoin their jati, um, which is their like village, basically their kind of um, their other their what Bardo village, I suppose, um, where Ely and Shen are both part of their of their kind of uh, their jati. And um, 
they all kind of live together, but in this in this incarnation of uh, this giant restaurant um, in Nanjing, right? Or no, Hangzhou. In Hangzhou. Uh, Hangzhou. And uh, we get, I mean, this is, this part is just really incredible because, you know, as the, as the book goes on, as this section goes on, he's constantly marveling at how much, how much bigger every city he lives in is than the last one. And this one is just a completely full bustling metropolis. And we get these amazing lists of all the stuff they can buy at the marketplace <laughs> and all the different tastes and smells and um and and just experiences that um are afforded them all the different things that Ely wants to um i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly um wants to be able to make to taste at one point she says i want to know everything right um and uh it's kind of it's just beautiful and overwhelming um it's yeah it's amazing it's overwhelming and then at the um Bottom of 45 to the top of 46, we have this great moment. Returning behind Ely with his wheelbarrow of pork one day, a wheelbarrow of pork, mm. pausing to let a party of nine intoxicated women in white pass by, Bold felt all of a sudden he was in a different world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Back at the restaurant, he said to Q, we've been reborn without our noticing it. Maybe you have. You're like a baby here. Both of us. Look about you. It's, he could not express it. They are rich, Q yeah. said, looking about. <laughs> he has no he has no time for this. He has no patience for this. He's interested in making making fun of this world that he's mm -hmm. in, but he has no investment in being mm -hmm. impressed by it yeah. whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Q is like he is the he is the revolutionary. Like yeah. he just he sees hierarchy, he sees yeah. wealth, he sees excess, and he's gonna burn it down. Yeah. And also it's like you know, um, Bold is intoxicated by all the, er, by everything that's around him. And Q is, as you say, like he has this incredibly materialist in a different way, you know, the, the opposite spectrum of the materialist uh, perception that Bold has. Bold is like intoxicated mm -hmm. by his, by like, um, by his perceptions. And Q sees it for kind of uh, what it is in almost like the Marxist sense is like, they are rich. You are not rich. You are, you are just passing through this, this kind of mode. They are the ones who are rich. And so what do you expect? Right? Like, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and also his point is like, and that's all they are. They're rich. Yeah. Who yeah. Cares, yeah. Yeah. You know? Who cares? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all, yeah. They're kind of wrapped up in this. Um, there's some great moments in here, but we just can't talk about literally everything, um, <laughs> which I would, even though I would love to. I, there's so many good, this is also, I mean, we should just, we should just say, this is, book is beautifully written too. It's like, there's, really good. I, well, I feel like we could read, it would be so pleasurable to read yeah. it out loud just because yeah. it's like, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Now Q is um, really sneaky. He's uh, watching without watching and um seems to be plotting and suddenly he wakes bold up in the middle of the night and he goes come on let's go he's like what do you mean he's like i stole the key i'm setting fire to the restaurant i've killed shen and Eli, or no killed shen um we're out of here and bold is, bold is like we have it good here <laughs> You know, Bold, yeah, I can really sympathize with because it's like... <laughs> I know. 
He's been through a lot. Uh, I mean, obviously, I sympathize with Q, too, and I understand exactly where he's coming from. But with Bold, it's like he's an old he's an older gentleman at this point. He's an older man. He's not a brave man, he has admitted, but he's um, reached a certain he's able to survive, as you were able to, as you said. So he's survived this long because of certain qualities that he has, some of which involve cowardice and just plain old self-preservation. And, you know, uh, he survived as a soldier in Temur's army. He survived as a, comp as a total emaciated beggar. He survived as a slave. And now he's in, he's sleeping on a nice bed. He's wearing clean clothes and he's able to eat like his fill. And then suddenly this kid <laughs> sort of kidnaps him in a weird, like a kind of weird inversion or something. He says, you're coming with me. We're busting out of this place. I have to go like assassinate the emperor or something. I'm going to um, kill the emperor. I mean, I and some of it is because Bold is like, uh, you know, because he does have this perspective in which he remembers, at least to some extent, he remembers past life and he knows mm -hmm. that there will be more than one life. There has been and there will be more than one life, right? So there's a way in which, like, um, yeah, I think that he his sort of, like, pleasure and abundance has to do with, like, well, you know, this is not going to be the end of things, but at least at the moment I'm well fed. Mm -hmm. um, and whereas, like, you know, like Q wants to make history happen, mm -hmm. you know, he, and when they argue about, uh, when Q's like, I'm going to kill the emperor and Bold is like, well, what, you know, what is that going to do? Even right. if you can do that, they'll just be another one. I mean, all of these guys are usurpers and mm -hmm. Q's like, well, but then they're going to fight. They're, they'll fight. They'll be thrown into chaos. And mm -hmm. Bold's like, I, I don't know whether this plan is going to work, <laughs> but you know, like here Q, you know, and, um, you know, we can think that it's because of um, what happened to him on the ship. We can think that it has something to do with just who he is. We can think it's because of his righteous anger. And he is, after all, like, um, he is the first black person who we've met. Mm. Um, he's designated as black. We know he come, his, we know when uh, Bold first gets to the slave markets in Alexandria that most of the people who are being sold are black um, and mm -hmm. some of them are brown, but most of them are black. Um, so, you know, we know that he, Q to some extent is bearing a different history and a different relationship to enslavement that comes mm -hmm. out when he's in the Bardo and he's mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, why would the God of death look like this? To me, the God of death would be an Arab traitor. Mm. And then conveniently the God of death becomes an Arab tra <laughs> traitor, mm -hmm. right? But, um, you know, so whether he's being driven by like historical purpose or whether he's being driven because in fact he is like a spirit, you know, either a spirit he's been carrying with him from wherever in Africa he was from or, um, you know, something, some quality of having been reborn without having been properly buried, which Bolt also thinks is a possibility, or whether it's just because like he had this like incredibly fucked up experience on the ship and he wants revenge all of those things like lead him to say like, you know, we got to smash the order. That's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, no matter how you do it, uh, it smashing order is good because it forces like, even if there are people to take their place, it's still going to enact some level of change and any change is better than like the status quo in a certain sense, like for, for him, at least from his perspective, it's kind of like, what do I have to lose? You know, um, uh, and and especially like 
if if he takes if you know if he took bold's philosophy seriously like this isn't the only life there's going to be another one then uh you know why not in a certain sense if i'm going to be reborn why not uh cause throw the chinese empire into chaos by trying to assassinate (laughs) the emperor even if it means i'm going to die if you're saying that then i'm going to be reborn anyway so let's let's go let's do it um so, well, and I think, oh, God. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I think we can we can summarize um, uh, that um, Q is actually, for all that he is, um, uh, you know, ready to set things on fire and is pretty sure also that, like, if you assassinate the right person, you can make something happen. Mm-hmm. He also has this, like, very strong kind of, like... Um, like you said, like he's capable of watching and waiting and learning everything that he needs to learn. And by the time he ends up being with the being part of the group of um, of imperial eunuchs, mm-hmm. um, he seems to have become quite good at the some of the sort of like manipulative aspects of getting mm-hmm. yourself to the place where you yeah. need to be at least for a certain amount of time and then it kind of falls apart on him yeah well it's amazing when he like meets up with when they when they arrive in i guess nanjing and he's like let's go see zhang hei and bold's <laughs> like what do you mean like we were a slave on his boat like we never we don't know this dude and Q's like, no, let's go. Let's go talk to him. And he just sweet talks Zhang He into giving him like a letter of introduction <laughs> to get him into the the eunuch thing. And it's really cool. Like uh it's really it's really funny. Um Bold yeah, shook his head amazing. to see the example of the bo- <laughs> boy's power revealing itself. Zhang nodded at Q. Uh, as Q explained, they had been part of his last expedition. You look familiar, he frowned. Uh, of course, that's because they were in the Bardo together, I think. Um, uh, but he uh, basically says, uh, convinces him to give him a letter of introduction so that he can go assassinate the emperor. <laughs> and Jing's like, okay, yeah, uh, I'll help you for old time's sake. Good luck, you know. Um, and within the empire, there's this like conflict between like, uh, having a big treasure fleet and like actually investing in or the doing the land war basically or overseas imperialism. Um, right, right. Yeah. And also a conflict between the influence that the eunuchs have on the emperor and what's referred to as the Confucian bureaucracy. So there's like a kind of like, um, struggle for political influence or going mm-hmm. on all around the emperor, right? Too. That which Q kind of takes a look at again and sort of positions himself within to do maximal damage as as far as as far as he can. And meanwhile, Bold gets another like pretty good job. Like he is an expert with horses. And again, there's this moment like com- we can compare it to the moment when he finds the bow in you know uh, in Europe that's so primitive and 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 flimsy he's taking care of these chinese horses and he goes oh no wonder they can't conquer the mongols because these horses are crap these are crap horses <laughs> they, <laughs> they can't they're 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 fat they're slow they're um they're they're inefficient delicate yeah. delicate yeah. yeah um 
Yeah, th- this part was really also fun because Q, although he's a eunuch, uh, he because he's a eunuch, he's assigned to, um, uh, what do you call it? Not the harem. The um, what am I thinking? The, con- uh, the concubines. The, the concubines, and he like uh, periodically emerges, and, and he's you know reeking of perfume and kind of looks dizzy and 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 chats with bold and he's like man you got no idea what goes on in there brother (laughs) (laughs) um uh yeah yeah it's a great um you know so much of the intrigue in that section goes on behind the scenes Mm because we're still mostly with bold in the stables and you know he, he hears bits and pieces and knows bits and pieces, but we don't really know what's going on. And we only get this kind of sketch of like uh, the sort of political struggles that are happening around the emperor. And in truth, like we don't have uh, a super good idea of like we, the readers, don't have a particularly good idea of whether, in fact, assassinating the emperor or creating a sort of crisis for this particular emperor would do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, one thing that we know is um, uh, that, like, this uh, uh, this empire that we're in is already um, massive enough mm-hmm. and, like, technologically developed enough that not only do they already have these huge, extremely abundant cities, they've been building this entirely new capital, Beijing, mm-hmm. right. like, essentially from scratch, mm-hmm. um, out, of, the, out of nothing. In the middle of, yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Where in no the one middle wants, of nowhere. Where no right. one wants to exactly. live. Exactly. And it sounds like, uh, yeah. And, just like a, it's right, a giant construction site. Basically. Yeah, and <laughs> that they have so much, uh, that they have so much, sort of plenty and 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 capital, um, that uh, as soon as the emperor who is building the um, Beijing dies, the new emperor says, "We're not building that anymore. We're bringing the capital back to Nanjing." <laughs> and. and and everyone who is building Beijing knows that's exactly what's going to happen when that emperor dies, and yet still they have to they have to do it. Um, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so we have an important like um, turning point moment on seventy six to seventy seven. Bold's last meeting with Q, or last meeting in this world, I guess. Um, uh, Q comes by the stables. It was like talking to a stranger now, but the youth clasped Bold by the arm, suddenly affectionate and serious, like a prince talking to a trusted old retainer. Do you never want to go home? He asked. Home, Bold said. Isn't your family out there? I don't know. It's been years. I'm sure Mm. they think I died. They could be anywhere, but not just anywhere. You could find them. Maybe, he looked at Q curiously. Why do you ask? Q didn't answer at first. He was still clutching Bold's arm. Finally, he said... Do you know the story of the eunuch Chao Kao who caused the downfall of the Qin dynasty? No, surely you're not still talking about that. Q smiled. No, he pulled a little carving from his sleeve. Half of a tiger carved from black ironwood, its stripes cut into the smooth surface. The amputation across its middle was mortized. It was a tally like those used by officials to authenticate their communications with the capital when they were in the provinces. Take this with you when you go. I'll keep the other half. It will help you. We'll meet again. Mm. Bold took it, frightened. It seemed to him like Q's naffs, but of course that was something that couldn't be given away. 
We'll meet again in our lives to come, at least, as you always used to tell me. Your prayers for the dead give them instructions on how to proceed in the bardo, right? That's right. I must go. And with a kiss to the cheek, Q is off to the night. And so the next time they do see each other or talk to each other is in the bardo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, after both have Such been a good moment. put to death. And then, <laughs> and then we get this amazing bardo sequence, which again, everything I know about the bardo, I learned from this chapter. Um, uh, and which again, I is think- something that we could read the whole thing and we're not going to because it's so beautiful. And you, we could talk about it for ages and ages. What were you going to say? Well, I was thinking the bit on 84 to 85, which is um, bold sort of explaining to Q about the Jati is it would be a like good one to read just because mm. that is that seems like very core to like the thing that we want to think mm. that we keep thinking about throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. Does okay. that seem does that yeah. make sense? Go for it. Um, so, I mean, part of the. Part of what's going on is that, like, Q there in the Bardo, not able to remember previous moments of being in the Bardo, isn't sure what it is that he has to do. Mm, right. Um, right? Like, how is he going to get through this? Um, there's some possibility of just remaining like a ghost, a hungry ghost. Um, uh, uh, so um, uh, he finds himself by himself, uh, the anguish of solitude colored explosions, tangerine, lime, quicksilver, each shade more acid than the last, burned his consciousness with an anguish ever deeper. I'm wandering in the bardo, rescue me, rescue me. And then Bold was there with him. They stood in their old bodies, looking at each other. The lights grew clearer, less painful to the eyes. A single ray of hope pierced the depth of Q's despair, like a lone paper lantern seen across West Lake. You found me, Q said. Yes, it's a miracle you could find me here. No, we always meet in the bardo. We will cross paths for as long as the six worlds turn in this cycle of the cosmos. We're part of a karmic jati. What's that? Jati, subcast, family, village, it manifests differently. We all came into the cosmos together. And I think jati also just means birth, too. Mm. Um, uh, new souls are born out of the void, but infrequently, especially at this point in the cycle, for we are in the Kali Yuga, the age of destruction. When new souls do appear, it happens like a dandelion pod, souls like seeds floating away on the Dharma wind. We're all seeds of what we could be, but the new seeds float together and never separate by much. That's my point. We've gone through many lives together already. Our jati has been particularly tight since the avalanche. That fate bound us together. We rise or fall together. I don't remember any other lives, and I don't remember anyone from this past life but you. I only recognize you. Where are the rest of them? You didn't recognize me either. We found you. You've now been falling away from the Jati for many reincarnations now, down and down into yourself alone in lower and lower lokas. There are six lokas. They are the worlds, the realms of rebirth and illusion, um, etc. Q asks, how many of us are in this Jati? And Bold says, I don't know, a dozen, perhaps, or half a dozen. The group blurs at the boundaries. Um, So I, I, I feel like that idea of the Jati, like... The little band. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like the same as the first hundred, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they're not being reborn together, but like the idea of the group that is somehow bound together and shares experience and history without necessarily like knowing each other mm-hmm. um, or having intimate relations with each mm-hmm. other, although they could have, mm-hmm. um, you know, like without always being together, without always recognizing or knowing each other, but nonetheless, this kind of like, 
um, the sense of like, you know, experience um, on this like extremely large scale um, that is shared, that is shared with others and a kind of like attachment among people that can't, you know, that there aren't, uh, there aren't obvious ways to describe. It's not really a tribe or a caste or a family. Um, It really is something else, a kind of group, um, Mm -hmm. which I just think is like, I find that such an amazing, amazing idea and like a really beautiful way of describing something about like the kinds of bonds there are between people that that are not familial or ancestral um or um or even really solidarity you know Mm -hmm. but are nonetheless there right i think of it in terms of um yeah i mean it's helpful to think of this uh of that of the jati as a kind of like metaphorically not just in terms of like the the strict like Buddhist belief in it, but like later on in the book, for instance, I mean, I think probably at the end. So spoiler alert: um, one of the characters will describe reincarnation as simply like waking up in the morning, like you just wake mm-hmm. up to a new life every day. And so, thinking about the jati and these types of people and what they stand for and what they represent as they interact in different configurations. So like bold and Q are like one, and again, if you like go to the info page, you'll see what each of the characters are supposed to sort of stand for. But as they interact with different characters, they different part aspects of their own personality emerge. So the way that bold interacts with Q versus the way that bold interacts with E. Lee, mm. um, you know, bring forth different, aspects of Bold's personality and Bold's character. And in a similar way, I mean, it, it's not that different for from real life. I mean, the way that you that we that we move through life, we we do tend to meet the same people um, over and over again, or the same types of people and, and bond with them or not bond with them in very, very similar ways. I mean, just I can remember Still, when I was teaching at uh, Chicago in in our program, in the in the master's program, the second year I, I taught in the program at the beginning of the year when we have this big party of all these um, of all the new students, I was looking out at all the new students in my second year and said and was realizing, oh, these are all the same students from the last year. <laughs> They just have different bodies, you know, it's just a reincarnation of the exact same people. And I can see that that guy is the same as that girl or from pre- from last year, you know, like it's patterns of personality um, that, that emerge um, in that you just recognize, you know, um, the way the way you'll make a new friend um, at 40 that reminds you of a friendship that you had when you were 20. Um, there's something about sort of just human living together that creates, that seems to create these patterns um, that recur. Um, it's not mystical. I don't feel like it's mystical. It's mysterious for sure, but it's um, it's structural in a certain way, I would say. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think I was saying it was mystical. No, I don't think I don't think you were saying it was. I don't think you were saying it was mystical either. Um, but it 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 feels out that it didn't feel right, like that right. you were saying that. It just um, feels like a weird it's, coincidence. It's easy to dismiss it as mystical, and in fact, I think it's definitely you know something that's able. To, I mean, able to be analyzed, I suppose, but. Um, 
that, I was that just thinking about when you were. Well, I was thinking when you were saying that about the um, in um, uh, in Aurora. What is the the kind of like error, the like logical ease of representation when, like, mm. in fact, you've met like um, twenty five people, but you think that you know all hundred and fifty people yes, or whatever it is. Yes, is right, that what right. the yeah. ease of representation? Some, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In some ways, this is like a way of thinking. So, like, we make that mistake all the time, mm-hmm. you know, right? Just like constantly, I think. Mm-hmm. But then um, this is in some ways like sort of the other side of that, which mm-hmm. is like the feeling that, you know, um, we don't know others or or they are profoundly different from us or there are these like radical separations from us, right? Um, when in fact we are much more connected mm-hmm. together, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like... Um, even if we don't, even if we can't name our experiences as similar, right? There are kinds of bonds between us that have to do with like the kind of creatures that we are, that have to do with the way in which like um, we get placed historically, all of those mm-hmm. other kinds of things, you know, like mm-hmm. um, and yeah. And I thought your point about like it's also about the way in which like rather than I mean. Rather than like, you know, this is who Bold is and this is who Q is. And they're always going to be reborn as like these, like really what they are is a set of relations, right? Rather than like, it matters much more that they're the set of relations rather than the individuals, which I think is also in many ways, like that's sort of like the story of however compelling the personalities are. That is also the story of the first hundred in the Mars books too, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. like what matters in those books is all of the relations mm-hmm. amongst them, right? So it's a kind of way of thinking. It's a it's a way of thinking that like pushes against like you know the like the monadic individual mm-hmm. and and toward right this conception of us as produced in and through re- these like very complicated yeah. you know networks of relations that are like material. Yeah, and you know, and then also here are you know in years of rice and salt are not. Uh, just material but are also like co- uh, cosmic um, yes for sure you know yeah. like the the bardo scene is like is wild like a lot yes. of wild stuff happens there yeah. <laughs> and it's ba- and it's told more or less in the same manner as the rest of the story i mean it's in a different tone maybe like maybe a little different tone or mood but um it's not and there's no quotation marks, right? But that's all. Oh no, there are quotation marks right there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but still, it just sort of it, it's yeah, it's wild and it's beautiful and it's um, and it's not to be taken like as if it's not happening or something, right? Like right, this is right. real to the world of the book. Yeah, I was just thinking about um, as you were talking about Mars. I was just thinking about Sax, and you think about him in relation to John Boone. Versus thinking about him in relation to Anne or Maya, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He's yeah. a completely different character when you see him through those different eyes. Um, anyway, and there's um, a oh, and and also in the Mars books, you know, like that trick about like, which is more than a trick, but you know, of like the life extension right. that lets them live through so many epochs. Like that has something to do with what's happening here with reincarnation, right? right? You know, yeah. Um, well, also yeah. just with bold starting as a Mongolian horse soldier and ending up as a, uh, you know, and, and then becoming a slave and then becoming a restaurant 
yeah, a, a, yeah. A, wait, a waiter <laughs> and then becoming a, 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 a stable hand in the Chinese emperor's army. I mean, like radically different lives that he's living in one in one life, which I think um, which is also just worth thinking about and uh, coming back to in the throughout our discussion. I agree. And I got to say, just like talking about this now, I was reminded of the first time I read this book, like, you know, as I was reading it, I was like, okay, so um, uh, here's a world in which like, you know, it seems like um, it's not some kind of Buddhist, you know, cosmological uh, description of the world is in play and is maybe literal. I remember that, like, I sort of thought that I was paying attention to that. And then the, like, craziness of suddenly being in the bardo mm. completely caught me off guard the first time mm. I was reading it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, holy shit. And then, of course, you know, uh, which I guess we can't say anything about this without spoiling anything. Like, well, what's going to happen next? <laughs> right. 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 I just, like, uh, there's something that's, like, so... Uh, I don't know. I in the in like the very best way. Like that yeah. was a very that was a very magical experience for me as a yes. You know, um, your audio is breaking up, so this is a perfect time for us to uh, say goodbye. I think um, next we'll hopefully be back next week. I think we can do that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So next week we'll be reading book two, the Hajj in the in the heart, and we'll be moving into a complete another completely different sort of mode of being, historical era, um, and also like set of like religious practices, um, mm -hmm. which is we'll we'll save talking about until next week, um, in the kind of you know world that we're that Kim Stanley Robinson has built for us to romp around in. <laughs> In this novel <laughs> i'm out of practice on this show it'll get better <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll either get better or worse you know one way or another <laughs> it'll stay the, it'll really just stay the same actually it's not going to be, we're just going to be reincarnated into ourselves uh, just doing this po doing this podcast again and For again all eternity. <laughs> we're in the bardo right now guys being judged podcasting is the bardo you know, you're you're going to be reborn as a podcaster. Oh, God. <laughs> if only. If only. We can all hope. Okay. We can only hope. So uh, thank you for listening. Um, we're yes, just getting you, started. Everybody. So it's not too late to tell your friends to pick up a copy if they can find it of The Years of Rice and Salt. Don't buy it from Amazon. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast on Mars. Um, mm -hmm. Email us at maroonedonmars at po what is it maroonedonmarspodcast at gmail dot com. One day I'll right. remember what our email address is. And um, what else is there? Rate and review us on uh, iTunes. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, this was super fun to start talking about this book, and it's only um, going to get crazier yeah. and crazier. Too. Oh my god, so much crazier! And then fucking utopian also oh my god okay oh my yeah we god. gotta talk about the <laughs> status of utopia in this book so um thank you bye yep thank you bye